Now, last week, we left off in Jonah chapter 2. Okay? Jonah had just been vomited out of the big fish onto the dry land. And um, I'm not sure what exactly he looked like. I had a professor in college who told me, uh, and I have no idea how he knew this or if he even knew this, um, as many of the people who tell me about things that we don't know in Scripture, right? He said, I imagine him to be bleached white. <laughs> and that that's why, especially in Assyria, he stood out so much when he went to Nineveh and got everybody's attention. I don't know if that's the truth or not. Um, either way, as we're in Jonah chapter 3, we're understanding that Jonah is now ready for his second opportunity at doing what God called him to do the first time. Okay, so turn to Jonah 3 if you haven't already, and I want us to consider the question that we've all asked at times, and that is, can people really change? Okay. Can my husband change? I mean, can my wife change? Can my parents change? Uh, for, can my teenager change? Lots of people we ask that about, and yet in our, in our deepest moments, can I change? Can my life be different? It's, it's at the heart of this chapter. And when I think about it in light um, of the Ninevites, as you would expect, Jonah's going to go and preach to them. And I think in light of Jonah, he's the, he's the main character in our story throughout these different chapters. And today we're going to ask the question, can God change? It's an interesting uh, question to consider when you read in Scripture that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, um, wanting someone to change, like it's a universal desire, whether it be in our job environment, perhaps our family dynamic, sometimes our, our, our friendship circles or the makeup of our neighborhood, sometimes the political landscape in our country, okay, or the moral climate. And the list could just literally go on and on of things we would like to see changed. But in our most honest moments, again, when we're struggling with our own personal disciplines, when we're struggling with the fruit of our own choices in many ways, moral temptations, emotional reactions, repeatedly making some of the same mistakes. We ask, will I ever change? Okay. And I think this passage today gives us hope on all of those areas. Now, I have said many times um, that, that I le I've leveraged my whole life, I believe, on the answer to this question, can people change, believing that they can. Okay? I think they can. I think I'm an example of that personally, just in what God has done in my life. Like, if I didn't believe that people could change, I wouldn't bother showing up to this office <laughs> or this church every day. And I certainly would choose another vocation. As I'm sitting there um, during our communion time today, thinking, well, it's one thing for me to say I've leveraged my whole life on the fact that people can change, but literally Jesus leveraged his whole life so that you and I can change. Now, the Bible tells us throughout its pages that through the gospel, we can be made new, right? that we can be born again. It tells us through the Word of God and the Spirit of God that we can be sanctified, 
okay, which is a fancy church word, Bible word for meaning that we can grow in our righteousness, that we can, we can be changed. But it also tells us, I think, that change is not a given, okay, that we can resist change. We're told in Scripture that we can actually harden our heart toward God and His will and His work in our lives. So we find ourselves in Jonah 3, in much the same place that we were in Jonah chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 where it reads, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Okay. Now, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. So after all the running, after all the disobeying of these first two chapters, God brings Jonah back to the same spot with an opportunity to respond differently. <laughs> now, does that reflect your life at all? Like That reflects my life, I think, sometimes. God says, eh, not so great, let's try this again. <laughs> uh, you weren't so cooperative, let's see if we can do it better this time. So he, he has this opportunity to honor this vow that in chapter 2, remember that he made inside this fish. And we know that feeling. Like the call was the same, chapter 1 and chapter 3. The message was the same. The change was in Jonah, right? And how he responded to that call. Um, can the people of Nineveh change? Well, that's really the question that we'll look at today. But remember that the first change wasn't in the people of Nineveh. The first change was in Jonah. It's helpful to remember when we're asking, can my teenager change? Can my wife change? Can my husband change? Can my coworker change? Can all these people change? It might be uh, worth our while to ask God, is there a change that you're looking for in me? Yet as Jonah writes, um, I think the heart of this story is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's God's word, God's word that gives us truth and that gives us direction. If anything can change a person, um, it's the word of God. I mean, Jonah is going to give voice, but he's going to give voice to God's message, reminding us that our power is not in ourselves. Even the power to encourage change in someone else, that it's God who empowers us with his message to accomplish his purposes. But the message, notice, isn't going to be given until Jonah reaches the city. He says, go preach the message that I will give to you. First came the obedience. Then came the empowering. So this word go here in um, verse 2 right there at the beginning in the original language means go immediately there's a bit of intensity to it and that's what jonah did he changed from running away going to tarshish to obeying god and going to nineveh immediately this time as we read look down at verse 3 jonah obeyed the word of the lord and went to nineveh now nineveh was a very large city it took three days to go through it jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, okay? Some of your translations might be 
um, more descriptive and still accurate when it says 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Okay? Now Nineveh was about 200 miles from the Mediterranean. So it's not like he just hopped on a bus. <laughs> not just he, he had 200 miles to think about the first two chapters of Jonah. <laughs> to think about what had happened since God called him the first time. Some time to contemplate what God was asking him to do. So God provided the message. And as we take a step back, we realize what Jonah needed to do was to find the courage to actually voice God's word. Now, from his message, the Ninevites understood the possibility of destruction. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But if, you, if we would understand the language better, which doesn't come across near as clearly in English, we would also understand that they understood unless. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed unless you seek God for mercy, unless you repent, unless you change. And Jonah understood this too. We have to understand this is why Jonah did not want to go. He didn't want God to have grace on these people. He didn't want God to show love to these people and mercy to these people. That's why he ran away to Tarshish. Not because he was afraid of the Ninevites, but because he was afraid that God would have mercy on them. So then, um, and what, have, what would have been considered uh, by most people on that day to be impossible? The least likely change to happen of all. Look at verse 5. It says the Ninevites believed God. Jonah, um, I got to believe, thought, fine, God, <laughs> I'll do what you say. Like, I don't think he was like, he, he wasn't a happy prophet. <laughs> he wasn't a particularly willing prophet, but he was an obedient prophet. But in his mind, like the best case scenario is it's three days from one side of this city to the other. I'd be faith, I'm faithful for three days, and I'm done. My job's over. I can wipe my hands of all this nonsense and go on. And yet what happened was what Jonah feared would happen. The people believed. Like, remember, we're talking about Israel's worst enemy. We said in chapter 1 that in their day they would have been considered um, terrorists. Right, The most unlikely to believe this message from God and that he meant business. And yet their response was immediate. He didn't have to go three days journey. Like on day one, they believed. And there's a turning point um, in the story. And it gives weight to the question that we ask, can people really change? Okay? I think it's important that we just, that's why I just took these first few words out of verse 5, because the start of a person changing is often in their willingness to believe God. Okay? And sometimes the reason that we find that we don't change in our life is because we read God's word, but we're not believing it. We don't accept it as true and powerful. Not, now, not just believing in God, not just believing that he exists, or believing um, what, whoever claims they speak for God has to say, but actually believing God and believing his word. These people don't know everything about God at this point. They don't know a whole lot about God at this point, I don't think, but they believe him. 
and they believe his word. And the reason we know that is because these next words in verse 5. It says a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now in the beginning, or in the Bible, like fasting is a way of seeking mercy from God. And sackcloth is a way of showing repentance in that way toward God. And, and as if it wasn't amazing enough, okay, look at verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. The most powerful man in one of the most historically wicked cities. Declarations don't usually come from the bottom up. <laughs> okay? uh, you don't usually tell the king what he's going to do. Jonah preached, and the people of the city were so taken by this God and what he was threatening to them that they changed and now here is the king who sees how his city has responded and he follows suit literally leaving his throne that he was sitting on and ending up sitting in dust literally taking off his royal robes and instead putting on sackcloth is a sign of humility. And then he adds to the decree, he says, this also is going to apply to the animals. We're all going to pray to God. We're all going to give up our evil ways. Just like the sailors who didn't know him in chapter 1, now the people of Nineveh who didn't know him in chapter 3, are, they're crying out to the God of Israel for their lives. You can't read the story understand what is going on, and deny that people can change. Now, you might question whether they will, but you can't question whether they can. First, you hear God's word. Then you believe God's word. And when God says you've got it wrong, you change. Look at the king's um, pronouncement in verses 7 and 8. He says, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh, being the king. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And the king, who allowed and even commanded oppression, humbles himself, intensifying what had already been decided by the people, adding again the animals. In the Hebrew language, it, it reads more literally like this, let each person repent of his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This is a significant change for a very evil bunch of people in this way. And, and he emphasizes there in verse 8, and let us call on God urgently. Remember, their evil and their violence was the reason God sent them, sent Jonah to them in the first place. And you know he understands the consequences and what he's dealing with when you look at verse 9 when he says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his anger 
so that we will not perish. Now, the king can't know a whole lot about God yet personally. He's obviously hoping for compassion and mercy. And look at how God responds to this dramatic show of repentance and commitment to change in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God not only saw what they did outwardly, the fasting, the sackcloth, the dust, but more importantly, that they turned from their evil ways. Listen, God doesn't change who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he does change direction in response to people's change of hearts. We have seen it many times in the scriptures. I hope you have seen it in your own life as well. So Jonah's mission is now complete. Um, The results are stunning. Like these Assyrians, they've acknowledged God. They've turned from their evil ways. They've received the compassion of God. And Jonah 3 is really an example um, of what God has offered all nations throughout history. Maybe you're not familiar with or haven't read recently the book of Jeremiah chapter 18, but listen to what God offers people. He says, if at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. This was true of Assyria in the book of Jonah. It's true over and over and over again of the nation of Israel throughout the scriptures. And if we think about it, wouldn't it be true of the United States of America as well? So here in the book of Jonah, God relents, chooses not to destroy the Assyrians. But remember in chapter 1 that we read that passage in Nahum, who had come 150 years later and pronounced God's judgment on Assyria that would be carried through. That's not a long amount of time, but neither is the 244 years that we have been a nation and how far we have strayed from God's ideal as well. We would do well as a nation to take note of these words from Jeremiah. And I think there are a lot of deep thoughts to consider in this particular chapter when we think about applying what it is that we've looked at. So four of them I want us to look at this morning. The first one is this. What do you hope happens to your enemies? The Assyrians were enemies of Israel. Therefore, in Jonah's mind, they were enemies of Jonah. Now, this passage gives us insight into what God thinks should be done to his enemies. They should be giving an opportunity to hear from God, an opportunity to turn from their ways, and an opportunity to be forgiven. That's interesting, because that's not necessarily our first thought (laughs) when we think about what should be done to our enemies. 
But that's what God provides for them here. We ask ourselves, does that, does that match my thoughts? Okay. Um, as we're here today and thinking through this, um, I hope that when you leave here today, okay, as you're looking through your notes, I, I want to challenge you, like, don't move on until you settle this issue in your heart. Some of you, most of you, we're here when Drew preached back in January, remember? And he talked about unforgiveness. Okay? And I'm quite sure that some of you just pushed right on through that without settling your accounts and dealing with your own heart as it relates to your enemies. Please don't do that. Okay? Don't get stuck. Maybe choose to be stuck <laughs> until you figure this one out. If you have to, like stay long enough in that uncomfortable spot with that uncomfortable question. Long enough to break the grip um, that hatred or bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness can have on your potential to grow in Christ. Okay? You can go to classes, <laughs> you can listen to sermons, you can read God's Word, but if there's a refusal in your heart to forgive someone who's hurt you, it will slow, if not stunt, your growth spiritually. It's just what we know to be true. Now listen, I, I fought this battle personally. And I have found that the freedom on the other side of it is worth every ounce of energy it takes to get there. It's a battle worth fighting. Number two. Compassion is a primary characteristic of God. It is on full display here in Jonah chapter 3. Now, God is just. As he shows us here, he's also compassionate. And I think as we read through Scripture, we understand God would always rather choose compassion over justice. But he chooses to respond to us based on our actions toward him. It was the repentance of the Assyrians that allowed God to exercise compassion over his justice toward them. Read in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 32, God says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God constantly longs for his people, either those of us who claim to be his children or as he shows with the Assyrians, even those who are his creation that are still his. He longs for us to return to him even when we've chosen a path of wickedness. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. People can change. They can. And God is patiently waiting for things to happen, change to happen, maybe in your enemies and maybe in you. And have you ever thought that perhaps it's the change in you that might actually spur a different response 
than the person that you're struggling with. That God could use you and what's happening in you to change them. Number three, the people of Nineveh are an example of how to respond to God when you are engaged in sin. Okay? All of us struggle with temptation. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us are going to struggle with that at different and various levels until we die. But these people heard God's word, and they believed God's word, and they measured their life against God's word, and then they responded to the directions from God. They understood what our culture refuses to admit, that there is a standard when it comes to right and wrong. There's a standard when it comes to holy and unholy. And they understood that there is an authority over us all who's going to rightly judge us. And as a result, they repented of their sin. Now think about how much more you and I know about God than the people of Nineveh knew about God. Think about how informed we are. Think about his word that we have, all of these things. And when you think about all that we've been shown and all that we've been given that they never were, then you'll understand the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, when he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus would say, listen, you have the Son of God standing in front of you, and your hearts remain hard and distant from me. But the people of Nineveh, all they had was Jonah preaching a message of turn or God's going to destroy the city, and they turned, and yet Jesus said, but you won't even turn. And that was the people of Jesus' day, before the cross, before the resurrection, before the compilation and the writing of the New Testament. That's really significant. And we would be well to listen to the fact, like there is a standard, and there is a judge, Jesus would say, no one will see eternal life without turning from their sin in repentance, embracing the cross for our salvation, and submitting submitting to God's rule and authority in their life that's given to us in His Word. So when you find yourself struggling with sin, don't just remember the Ninevites. Remember so much more that we have and the resources to help us conquer and move past that sin. But it still starts with repentance. And then number four, a realization. Pride is what keeps us from following God. Okay? Now, this is going to become so much more clear in chapter four. Um, you, you can't miss it. Okay? But have you noticed um, like who it is that's displayed the greatest amount of pride here in the book of Jonah? It's not the incredibly powerful king in Nineveh. It's not the unbelieving sailors. It's the follower of God <laughs> who has figured out in his mind who God should love and who God should punish 
And who's worthy of God's grace? We'll see it in its ugliest form in chapter 4. But isn't it interesting? Who's got all of life figured out? And who's the one God has to discipline? Versus who is the one God is able to show compassion because of their response? Listen, pride um, has to be lost if we are going to follow God's word in our lives. Humbling ourselves is admitting that God knows best and that his will is best and that our best comes from submitting our will to God's will. Listen, people, people can change. And you can change and I can change. But not unless pride is set aside. You read chapter 3 and you realize how simple salvation can be. Hear God's word. Respond in faith. Respond in repentance. And then as we read God's plan for our life, we, we realize we, we let God wash away our sins through baptism. Begin this new life of obedience, free from the guilt of our past, and moving forward um, into a future, a life that honors God. People can change, and you can change. The question becomes, will you change? And would you do it today? We're going to pray, and then we're going to worship be some of us in the back that would love to talk to you about that change. Pray with you about the change in your life. All right, let's pray together. Lord, you are the author of change, just as you are the author of life. Our lives, your will, your plan, your direction is given to us for our benefit so that we as your creation, the created ones can understand from our creator, the one who has called us to life and called the steps of our lives, Lord, so that we might respond in a way that honors you. Would you help us to lay aside our pride and let you have complete control of our hearts today? We pray in Jesus' name.